Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. This morning, we're going to be looking at faith in conflict. And speaking of conflict, I remember years ago, I heard an, an older pastor preaching And uh, as he was standing before the congregation, he stood there with confidence and he said, you know what, I have a great marriage, I've been married for a long time, and my wife and I, we never, ever have an argument or a conflict. And I was like, really? Never? I was like, do you guys live in the same house? Because, you know, I'm married, and I've, I've talked to hundreds of different people who are married, and we always, if we can really get real with each other, there's always this thing of, yes, there is conflict that we have to work through from time to time in our marriages. But you know, conflict is in relationships, not only in marriage, but also in other relationships that we have. Conflict is in, uh, we have conflict with our parents, we have conflict with our siblings, we have conflict with our best friends. If you really have a good friend, you can have a good conflict, right, and work through it because, that's, because your relationship is solid. Um, we have uh, conflict with our coworkers at times and with our employers. We even have conflict with our voice-activated phones. Can I get a witness, right? Man, my f- I don't have it up here, but anyway, my phone, there's, there are spaces, I guess, when you're driving where the fo- voice activation does not work. And I'll be like, that's when I need it to work the most. If I, and I'm like, hey, Siri. <laughs> yeah, now it's working. But, and I'll be like, and it will not turn on. Have you ever been like, you're like, hey, Siri. And you're like, maybe it didn't hear me. Hey, Siri. And by the, you're just so angry. And you're having conflict with your phone. I mean, that's ridiculous. You're angry with something that doesn't even know anything. So, but the point is that because of the fall that's recorded in Genesis chapter 3, We are going to have conflict with one another, whether we like it or not. And so the question as a Christ follower is this. How are we going to deal with these struggles and these conflicts that we have with each other when they arise? And you know what's good news is that this morning's passage deals with this topic. And last week we were introduced for the first time to a man in Genesis chapter 12, whose name was Abram. And God singled him out and said, Look, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And when you go there, I'm I'm going to give you three things. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. And these are the three things that God promised him. Land, descendants, and blessings, and protection. Now, we're going to, it's important that we get this. It's important that we understand this covenant right here, because it's something that we're going to refer to throughout the next few chapters as we go through Genesis. We're going to refer back to this covenant, because this is the key to Abraham's success, is understanding and believing in this covenant. And so Abram believed God, and he moved to the land of Canaan. This is where God had promised and had directed him. And I want to point out something in chapter 12 that I didn't go over last week. We didn't get into it. Marvin, when he read the passage, he read about it, but I didn't go into it. But it says that when Abram went into the land of Canaan, 
that he built an altar on two separate occasions. He built an altar and then he called out or called upon the name of the Lord. He worshiped his God. And, and this is very important for us to understand as we move forward in today's passage. In the ancient world, when individuals built an altar, it was to commemorate an encounter that they had had with God. It was to serve as a reminder to them of how God had intervened in their life in a special way, in a significant way. And when Abram built this altar in Canaan, he had just had an encounter with God. And so he wanted to worship his God, and so he built an altar to remind him where God had met him that, during that season, and he was able to worship his God during that time. Well, as you know, if you were here last week, shortly after he goes into the land, he, he has a lapse of faith when a famine enters into the land, and he goes out from Canaan and goes down into Egypt. And when he goes down into Egypt, he ends up doing some really um, un, uh, unfaithful things. He puts his family and his wife in jeopardy, and he also brings disgrace upon his name and upon the name of the Lord. And then he gets rebuked by a pagan king and then sent away. And that's what we're going to pick up in today's passage in chapter 13. So Abram, understand Abram is returning back to the land that he left. Let's read in verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar, pay attention to that, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Now what's happening here in this passage? This is a, a beautiful passage because it teaches us that although Abram failed, he didn't just sit there and wallow in his failures. Instead, he gives us an example to follow. When he failed, he didn't stay there and wallow in it. Instead, he got up, he repented, and he returned to where God had originally called him to be. This is very encouraging. This is very important for us to understand. And, and I use the word repentance. I, I said that he repented. And I want to explain what that is because that can be this big churchy word, repent. Repent means to basically change your mind. Change the way you think about things. And it's important that all repentance begins in the mind, an understanding of what you're changing. Because if you can change the mind, it will change the direction that you're living. Okay, So that's, it's important to understand why you do the things you do and what God has called you to do. And Abram came to a point, he's like, man, this is what am I doing here? He got up, he repented, and he returned to where God had originally called him. And I can, you know, it says in verse 4 that he returned where? To the place where he had made an altar. That's, that's important to understand. He went back to a place that he had made an altar. Why? Well, I can, I can picture Abram. You know, he's, he's had a, it's, it, he didn't drive overnight. 
from Egypt back to, his, to, to this altar. Uh, he didn't uh, fly. He had to walk or ride his camels back. And over, the, over that time, he had a lot of time to think about what he had done. And I think he went back to this altar on purpose. And I can imagine him sitting there in front of the altar, remembering, why did I build this altar in the first place? It reminded him of several things. It reminded him of the call that God had called him. It reminded him of the promises that God had given to him. And it also reminded him of God's faithfulness. Just the fact that he was back in the land should have reminded him that God is faithful. Because, you know, he could have died in Egypt. He could have lost his wife in Egypt and his family. But God was faithful to bring him back. And, you know, the thing about it is he came back richer than when he left. It's, 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 uh, that's very interesting. Because an MC this past week in missional communities in our home, somebody raised uh, the question, he goes, why is that? That does not make sense. Abram, like, rebels against God or doesn't walk in faith, and, God, and he's actually comes about out better. And you know, it's right. It's not fair what happened to Abram. Uh, he did not get what he deserved. And you know, the truth is, you and I don't either. You and I don't get what we deserve when we do the things that Abram did. Listen to what Psalm 103 says. 103 verse 10, he says, God does not deal with us. God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. And you know, since that's, that's how God treats us, I hope, you, I hope you realize that. I hope you realize that God has not treated you the way you've treated him. And I'm saying that myself. God has not treated me the way I have treated him. And since God has treated me that way, since he's treated you that way, how does that instruct us to treat one another? Abraham did not get what he deserved. And that's why it's called mercy. That's why it's called grace. Because people who deserve, don't, people who do good, they don't deserve mercy and grace. People who deserve to be punished are the ones that deserve or get mercy and grace. And so we need to, we need to look at Abraham and see that he didn't just wallow in what he did. He humbled himself and he got up and he returned to where God had called him to be. You know, as far as, as it, when it comes to altars, we need to have altars in our lives. We need to have altars in our lives to help us to remember God. We need to remember when God, when has God intervened in your life in a specific way and delivered you and provided for you or protected you from something or you were in a desperate situation and you called out to God and he met you in it. And I say that we need to have altars because I say this often, we are a what? See, you don't remember. Okay, we are, 
a forgetful people. See, and we forget that. We forget that we are forgetful. And therefore, we need to have altars to remind us of God's faithfulness in the past because that empowers us to move forward into the future. Now, have you ever thought about on a wedding day that when the bride comes down and the groom, they meet at what? The altar. Think about that. They meet at an altar to exchange vowels, vowels and rings. They're exchanged at the altar to commemorate what? The covenant that the two are making with each other. Help me fill in the blanks here, okay? If you can help me, okay? All right. For better or? For richer or? In sickness and? To love and to? Till? Okay, we know them, right? And you know... We have, uh, I've been to many weddings uh, over time, and, and at the end, and mark my words, at the next wedding you go to, the brides, always, they're always like standing at the front, and they're like, ladies and gentlemen, I want to present to you so-and-so for the first time, and, and the bride always goes, woo, like that, right? <laughs> have you noticed? They all, it's like victory, we're going to win this thing, right? And then they go out just happy, the music's like usually uh, a happy song, and... <laughs> Shortly after that, the famine comes, right? Can I get a witness? The famine comes, difficult times come, and you want to quit. Maybe you're there today. Maybe that's where you're at in your marriage. Listen, you need to return to the altar where you made those covenants, where you made those vows before you and God, and remember that God brought you together. Remember why you came together. Renew yourself at the altar of God. Maybe there's, uh, you, you, um, there was a time in your life where you heard God call you to minister. Now, we're all ministers. I'm not talking about full-time ministry, although we are to, be in all all, are to be in full-time ministry if you are a true believer. But there's a time where he specifically called you into an area of ministry, um, and he, he wanted you to prepare yourself for it. So maybe you went to school to get an education, or to develop a trade so that Jesus could be used through you, in you, to bless others. And so you're, you remember that day when you're like, man, I hope I get into that school, or I hope I get that scholarship. And sure enough, you get that scholarship. You get into that school, and then you go to that school, and then the famine comes. The famine comes. And it gets difficult, and you want to quit. If that's you, you need to return to the altar. Remember, why did God give you this in the first place? Or maybe you were called to minister in a specific way to somebody or to someone. Maybe you were called to adopt a child or to help somebody who's down and out down and out. And so you opened up your life. You opened your finances. You welcomed that individual into your life because you said to yourself before you did it, man, this will be a great picture of the gospel. This will, this will be what God did for me. He, he welcomed me in. And so you welcome that person into your life. But once you get into it, the famine 
once again comes into your, your life. The child is much more difficult than you had ever imagined. Or the person that you are ministering to is unresponsive. They don't reciprocate what you put into them back to you. They're ungrateful in your estimation. It has cost you so much. Don't they see what you've done? And you want to quit. You want to give up. You're weary. You don't feel like you can go on. Can anyone relate to that? that that's, that's, what it, that's what it can be like. I want to encourage you, if that's you, return to the altar. Return to why did you begin in the first place? It was to glorify God. Remember why you answered the call. And that's what Abraham is doing in the passage today. He went back to the altar where he, was, he remembered his God, and he worshiped his God. But you know what's, what's interesting is that it didn't last very long because another famine enters into his life. Let's look at what happens in verse 5. And Lot, that's Abram's nephew, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's flock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. It appears that the land, they're back in the promised land, but it appears that the Canaanites and the Perizzites, who were already there, had taken up the, the best portions of the land. And uh, it left Abram and Lot to scrounge for the scraps. And so, look, God has blessed them both so much that they can't dwell together. It's, it's starting to cause a strife and conflict between two families. And What's interesting to me is that blessed brothers, blessed brothers are in discord with each other. You know, if, if you're not a, a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ, you know, you know that Christians are supposed to love each other, right? That's, you know that. Aren't, aren't Christians supposed to, to get along? And, and, and it's true, we are. God calls us to that. But I, I want to make sure that I'm very clear about something. If we are truly following Christ, if we are truly going to be in fellowship with, with one another, conflict is going to be inevitable. We, we need to understand that. If we don't understand that, we're going to have conflict with one another, and we're, we're going to be like, what's up with this? I'm out of here. That's going to be the way that we move. But if we understand, you know what? I'm going to have conflict with this person. At some, if I get to, get to know you well enough, uh, if you've come here and you think, man, this church is awesome, I hope that it's because you see Jesus in, in this church. Because I promise you, if you hang out long enough, you're going to say, man, what happened? You know, there's going to be some things that come to the front because we are all people in need of a Savior. And if we don't come to this Fellowship, understanding that, we're going to have the wrong uh, picture and be disillusioned when things aren't always happy and go lucky. 
And, you know, that's why many people avoid being in a church that has fellowship. Because in some ways, it's easier uh, to be a Christian when we don't have to be around each other, right? Um, we, are, we are a weird type of people in the sense that God brings so many different types of people together, unified in the name of Jesus. But we all come with all these differences. We have different preferences. We have these idiosyncrasies. You know, if you don't know that you have an idiosyncrasy, that in itself is one. But he brings us together. Why? He brings us together to sanctify us, to, to grow us, to cause us to learn how to lay down our preferences, to learn us, to teach us to how not to get our way. He's teaching us. We say, Lord, make me like Jesus. What does that mean? means you need to learn to lay down your life. That's what Jesus modeled for us, laying down his life. And so strife between God's people is something that is, is I don't want to say it's common, but I will say that it is inevitable. And it's all throughout Scripture, if you think about it. And there's times that Jesus, when he was here, his disciples argued. And what were they arguing about? Who's the greatest? They argued about who was the greatest. The Apostle Paul, unarguably the greatest apostle recorded in Scripture. He wrote about 28% of, the new, of our New Testament Bibles. He had this conflict with a guy named Barnabas, another super-Christian. And the, the argument got so big and strong, they had to separate from one, from one another uh, for a season. There were also conflicts in the church of Corinth. This was a church that was back in the New Testament. They had fights among themselves. And, you know, they decided this is how we're going to deal with these fights. We're going to go to the courts in the world, and we're going to sue each other in front of the entire world. Now, that is, that is not what God has called his people to be or to do. And so we need to remember that we're going to have conflicts, but as we're dealing with the conflicts, we need to understand that the Canaanites and the Perizzites are watching. We need to understand that the world is watching. What are they watching for? To see if we're the real deal. To see if Jesus really does impact a life and make a difference. Or are we just a bunch of religious hypocrites coming together, singing about things that aren't real and that we don't really believe. And I'm not saying that we need to pretend. I'm not saying that we need to, to act like, oh, nothing's going on. But there is a, a way in which to deal with conflict that is wise. And so we need to, again, we need to understand that blessed people will have conflict. And the last time that Abram experienced conflict, he failed the test of faith. He went to Egypt and failed. What about this time? He's got this conflict with his nephew. Has he learned a lesson? Let's look in verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, I love this, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Man, we're brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, 
then I will go to the left. Last time, Abraham, Abram failed the test. This time, he's passing with flying colors. And it's, it's clear that he's walking by faith because he's being empowered to do something that is, that is uh, supernatural, something that goes against human instinct and human pre- preservation. Rather than ex- exercising his right, he had the right as the uncle. He had the right to choose which land he would go on, and it would have been totally right for him to do that. But he humbles himself, and he lets Lot choose. And that, in a worldly way, humanly speaking, that is a foolish thing to do. Humanly speaking. Why? Because selfish people tend to choose selfishly. Selfish people tend to choose selfishly. It's like when you have that one cookie. You know what I'm talking about? One cookie's left over. you got two kids. It's mine. No, it's mine. I was here first. No, you got the last. You know that argument I'm talking about? What do you do with that? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this, this is, I don't know if this is really related to the sermon, but it's interesting. Uh, somebody taught me something that was really wise about how to deal with something like that. If you've got two children who are fighting over a cookie or whatever, have the older one take a knife and give, give them the knife and say, look, cut that cookie in half. And then tell the younger one, you get to choose which one you're going to take. And that causes someone with a selfish heart to do it righteously, right? Why? Because they want to make sure they get as much as the other person. And so what Abram did in this case was not wise. He just said, you take what you want and I'll take the leftovers. Let's look at verse 10. What does Lot do? And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Selfish people tend to choose selfishly, and selfishness blinds us spiritually. And this is exactly what happened to Lot. He should have... He should have humbled himself, and he should have honored his uncle and said, you know what, there's no way I'm going to choose. I'm going to let you choose. But instead, he greedily chose the choicest section of land, and he camps, it says in verse 13, or verse 12, he says, it says he put his tent as far as Sodom. And verse 13 tells us that Sodom was a wicked place. It's like he got as close to a wicked city as he could. And it's like he didn't didn't consider, before he made that move, he didn't consider the impact that it was going to make on his family or his soul. Listen, when we're making decisions about following God, if you're thinking about moving away to another city or to another place, do you consider your spiritual side 
as much as you do your economical side? Do you think it's, it's more important? Or do you think, you know, once we get there, we'll figure that part out? That's kind of what Lot does here. And later, in the upcoming chapters, we're going to see that Lot not only moves next to the city, eventually he moves into the city. And it's going to cost him greatly for the decision that he made because he was being self-centered. And one of the things I want to point out this morning is that if you're having conflict in your life right now, if you're having conflict with somebody or something, you need to understand that that conflict that you are having is not primarily between you and that person. The, the struggle that you're really having often is between you and God. Okay, It's often between you and God. It is because it's often an issue of faith. Stay with me on this, all right? It's often an issue of faith. You have to come to a place where when the famine comes, you have to, you have to ask yourself, do I believe in these circumstances that are going on around me, these horrible things? Do I trust my five limited senses, what they're communicating to me, or am I trusting and focusing on God and his promises in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of this quarrel. Is, let me ask you this. Is your heart today unsettled? Are you unsettled about something? Well, listen to what Isaiah 26, this is the word of God. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you or set on you. You keep the person who sets their mind on on you in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Why was Abram able to respond to Lot in such a peaceful and gener generous manner? Why was he able to do that? Why was he able to consider Lot more important than himself? Well, it's because his mind, at some point between Egypt and Canaan, his mind got set back on God. He returned to the altar, and he remembered, he remembered the covenant that God had made with him originally, the promise of land, the promise of descendants, the promises of blessing. He remembered those, and when he got that, it's like it freed him from everything. He's like, you know what? I don't know when God's going to bring these promises true, but I know my God is true, and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And so he was able, he was able to be free from stuff and to be generous and open-handed with the things of God. And that's what true faith does. True faith diffuses the struggle that's in the hearts of man. True faith diffuses that conflict that's going on in you. You can't control, you can't control what somebody else is doing. You can try to control it, but you can't control their heart. But by faith in God, you can overcome the conflict that's in your heart. And if you do, it brings you to a place of peace and freedom. And you can respond in a way like Abram, in a way that glorifies God.
And so this morning, I want to ask you again, how's your heart? Where's your heart at right now? Is your heart at rest? Are you at peace? Are you content? Are you content? Because in Hebrews 13 verse 5, God tells us, be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is that good news to you this morning? You know, this is, that's good news to a troubled heart. That's good news to a weary soul, especially when you've blown it, especially when you've said something that you shouldn't have said. Have you ever done that, said something that you shouldn't have said and you said it and it's just bothering you now? Or you've gone somewhere that you shouldn't have gone? Or you've done something that you know you shouldn't have done and now you're in a mess. <laughs> that is such good news to know that God is not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. And that he is willing to redeem our failures. He's willing to redeem our rebellion if we will humble ourselves, get up, repent, and return back to him. And you know, in today's passage, Abram is content and at rest because he knew his God would never leave him or forsake him. And that, again, that freed him up to supernaturally consider Lot before himself. Let's look at verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. In other words, look all around you. 360. For all the land that you see, I will give it to you and to your offspring. God is telling him the same thing that he told him back in chapter 12. He's reminding him of his promise. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And so, verse 18 says, So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre. That word Mamre means to feed on the fat of the land, which are at Hebron. And there, what did he do? He built an altar to the Lord. I love the picture of what happened. Abram humbled himself before the Lord and walked in faith. It freed him to take whatever you want. I trust God. And God comes to him and goes, look, good job. Now I want to remind you, it's all yours anyway. And I picture Abram just walking through that land. Everywhere that his foot was walking, it was his. He knew it was his because of the promise of God. And you know what? We can live in that same joy. We can live in that same feasting that Abram lived in. If if we will learn to walk in faith and in the same repentance that Abraham displayed. Amen.
Amen. Let's pray.